And last week, last Sunday, we <clears throat> defined the difference in just hoping for something versus hope with an expectation that what God has promised, he's able to do and to perform. You know, if, if, if you promised one of your children something and then you didn't come through, but they knew you had the ability to do it, you just didn't do it. There's some kind of a, an attitude that you can develop towards somebody that continues to promise but doesn't follow through. It's the same way with God. If, if, if God has promised something but you don't see it happen and you get discouraged and believe that God won't do what he said, then the enemy's got, it, got you where he wants you because if, if you get discouraged because of what you see and feel and hear or the way things appear to be, and you don't have hope and expectation that what he's promised is going to come to pass. You'll never see those things. So what, so what the enemy does, the enemy that we know of out there is Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him. What he works overtime, he has no power in himself except to deceive. And what he works overtime to do is to convince people that God really can't do what he said he can do. As we read these scriptures and we find out in the word the promises of his word, we find out in the word that actually <laughs> he's pretty amazing. Amen? There's no end to what he can do. There's no limitations to our God. But the enemy works overtime convincing you that he can't do that. And so without hope and without expectation, there's no future because then you stay focused on what you don't have and what's not happening, and there's no faith for what will happen in the future. And I just declare today <clears throat> that the enemy is defeated. The Bible says the Son of God was manifested to destroy every work of the devil. He's defeated, and he will not prevail in your mind. Amen. Amen. He will not prevail in your mind. So, today, I want to review just a couple of scriptures that we talked about last week. I want to start with <clears throat> Jeremiah 29 11 in the Message Bible. Jeremiah 29 11 in the Message. I know what I'm doing, God said. I have it all planned out. Plans to take care of you, not abandon you. Plans to give you the future you hope for. And I want to say it like this. Plans to give you the future that you are actively hoping for. The future that you're actively busy hoping and having expectation for because you're in the process, continual process, of developing your relationship with God, knowing his heart and who he is, so that he can do what he said he can do. See, if we don't know him, 
then we won't expect things from him. We don't think, you know, many people walk around with a guilt complex or feel, feel that God can't forgive them because of mistakes that they've made. And what it does is it hinders them from receiving. God's not concerned about the mistakes you've made. What concerns him is that we don't make the changes so we quit making mistakes. And the more you get to know him, he empowers you to leave the mistakes behind. He's not holding mistakes against you. He looks at you through these 3D glasses of the blood of Jesus and he sees you forgiven. No matter what you've ever done, what you've ever experienced, he's already forgiven you for any and everything that you've ever done. And this hope and expectation that we need to be living in is what he already has planned out. He said, I know what I'm doing. I've got it all planned out. We just have to tap into that so we know what it is and we live our lives expecting that it's going to come to pass. It's not really that difficult. It just takes time. It takes time. And it takes time to change the way that you think. And so I want to just address that a little bit today. I read a a verse of scripture in, um, where did I read that? I read a verse of scripture in Hebrews 6 and verse 19. Last week, that's what I was going to say. Hebrews 6 and 19. Well, uh, look at verse 17. Hebrews 6, 17. Thus God determining to show more abundantly to the heirs of promise, the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. It's impossible. So if he said it in here, then it's truth. It's impossible for God to lie. It's not that... God could lie, but he chooses not to. God cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie. We might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. Now watch verse 19. This hope we have as an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence through the veil. What's an anchor do? You have an anchor on a boat. You drop the anchor and it does what? Keeps it still. It holds it there. It doesn't move back and forth. The Bible says in James 1 that <clears throat> thoughts and ideas come to us as human beings all the time, tossing us to and fro, it says, back and forth because we're not anchored in our soul. And what it says is that we become double minded, two-minded, two-spirited. We, we, we hear voices here and we hear voices here. We hear ideas from the, the world. The Bible says there's a world's way of thinking, a world system way of thinking, and then there's a God way of thinking. And the two are contrary to one another, but they're constantly bombarding our, our mind. It tosses us back and forth. And wherever your soul is anchored, 
whether it's in the ways of thinking of the world or the ways of thinking of God, wherever your soul is anchored is what you're going to believe. And I've used this example many times, but I think it's, it's worthwhile because I think it relates to humanity. But if you've been told and you're convinced and it's been driven home in your soul that you're a loser, you can hear me teach the word or you can hear someone encourage you and tell you that you're not a loser, but if you believe it, then at the end of the day, you'll believe what you think over what anybody else thinks. And that's just an absolute truth. So when your, your soul is anchored in, in a loser mentality, you see everything as a loser. You look at everything, decisions that you need to make in life, you look through those eyes. And there, there's other things that our soul gets anchored in. Well, everybody's anchored to something because we were born into a system and a world's way of thinking that we've gotten through the years. And, and, and what we have to do is, is develop this relationship with God through the way he thinks. It's not just developing a relationship through the written word. So if I just read the Bible enough, things are going to change. No, that's where it starts. And hearing word preached and meditation and those kind of things, that's where it starts. But my whole thinking pattern has to change. I, if, if I have a loser mentality, I've got to see that it is the will of God that he didn't create me as a loser. Those are lies of the enemy through different buttons that were pushed and different access and thoughts and things that people said over me through, through my life. And, and I've got to begin to believe that what God says is more real than what I've been told in days past up to this point. And I'm not just talking about like in two weeks you're going to be changed. It's an ongoing process of renewing our mind and our thinking so that we see ourselves the way God sees us instead of the way our thought life has tried to tell us that we are. We are who he says we are. And we thank God for that today. And we thank God that we have the Holy Spirit and we have access to make these ultimate changes on a day-to-day -day basis. We don't have to stay the way we've been. <clears throat> Can you say amen? amen? So, there has to be this hope that anchors our soul. This expectation that anchors our soul. So, just a number of verses that I, that I want to read to you today to get you to think about this. All right? 1 Corinthians 3. <clears throat> And verse 13, it says, and now, and now abides faith, hope, and love. These three, but the greatest of these is love. Now abides faith, hope, and love. And back up to the seventh verse. And 13th chapter is all about the love of God. And all the characteristics of the love of God. And then verse 7 says what the love of God does. The love of God bears all things. It believes all things. And it does what? It hopes all things. And it endures all things. And then verse 8 says, and love never fails. So <clears throat> when the love of God is in action, because your soul is anchored 
in hope and expectation, then you can begin to live a life that goes totally contrary to the way you think. You can begin to love unlovely people when in the natural you think they deserve to be taken out. You can begin to forgive people that have done you wrong even if you know in your mind it's all their fault. Because this hope that our soul has to be anchored in is, is the key to not being tossed back and forth. What will happen to a boat that is, that is supposed to be anchored in, at shore that's not anchored? What's going to happen to that boat? Well, it depends on where it's at. There's a dozen other boats around it, and it's all, you know, it's, it's supposed to be docked in a, in, in a certain place, and it's not anchored, and, and there's boats coming in and out of there, water is going to work on that thing and, and could end up destroying it. Well, when you see the boat as like life itself, and if that boat is anchored, then your life is not going to be tossed back and forth. And if it's anchored in this hope and expectation, then what's going to happen is that the love of God, because the Bible says that God, it's not just his nature to love. The Bible says that God is love. So when my soul is anchored to God and I'm, my, my confidence is in what he said he will do, then what begins to ooze out of him into you and begins to control your life is this unconditional love that you didn't even know was out there. The Bible says that we're to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul and to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. But I'll tell you this, you can't love God until you realize God really loves you. I mean, God has chosen me. He, he loves me. He loves me more than anybody on planet Earth, but it's the same way with you. And when you begin to realize that God loves you and you begin to love him, then all, all that's going to happen is that you're going to love the people that were created in his image in spite of their differences, in spite of their mistakes, in, in spite of everything. And then what's going to happen is the whole world's going to be one. You know that God doesn't desire for anybody on planet earth to perish or to not be saved or not to live eternity in heaven? Heaven wasn't created for human beings. I mean, hell was not created for human beings. Hell was created for the devil and demons. And God desires that all people will come to the saving knowledge of God. And, and what draws people to God? Kindness and love, right? A soul that is anchored in hope and expectation of God will eventually turn to loving instead of needing to get revenge. Instead of needing to see people pay for their mistakes. Eventually, love begins to ooze out of every pore of our body and we can't help but loving 
people because we know how much God loves us. That's been the, one of the greatest revelations I've ever tapped in all my years of being born again. 37 plus years of being saved. One of the greatest revelations that I have ever found is that God loves me. That he really loves me. In spite of myself, in spite of my mistakes and everything else, he loves me. But to live that way and to be confident of that every day and not allowing issues or situations to get between you and God, not allowing anything to get between your relationship with God and fighting for that, not giving in to any thought that goes contrary to his promises that try to tell you that he doesn't love you, that he holds this against you, that you're no good because of these mistakes that you've made. I'm telling you, there's not one of us that are righteous or any of us that have a right to be saved or to be delivered or to live our lives in, in eternity. It's all because of the blood of Jesus. All of it. But man, when you begin to know what the blood of Jesus accomplished, you can rise up and accomplish everything that's set before you. We don't have to take a back seat to nobody or anything. You take a back seat, you'll take a back seat because you want to. You'll prefer other people because you want to. You, you, don't have, you don't have to be less than anybody. I don't care who you are or where you were born or what color your skin is, what nation you came from or anything else. Nobody has to take a back seat to anybody when you know who you are in God and what the blood of Jesus has done for you. But it takes my soul being anchored in this hope and expectation. Of who God says he is. I just, I just want to know that he's not lying to me. Right? I mean, God, just, just show me. Just prove to me that you're not lying to me. You're not just telling me a bunch of stuff and it's not real. I just want to know that it's real. And after 37 years, he broke through to me. You know? He's broken through to me time and time again and proven me. To me that he's real even when it doesn't look like it's happening. It'll happen because he can't lie Amen So faith hope and love but the greatest is love Hebrews 6 and verse 10 For God is not unjust to forget your work and labor of love, which you have shown toward his name, and that you have ministered to the saints and you do minister. We desire that each one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope until the end, that you, that you maintain that attitude of this assurance, this hope until the end. Verse 12. That you do not become sluggish, but that you imitate those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So how through faith and patience do you inherit the promises? When your soul is anchored in hope and expectation that what God has promised, he is able to do it. That doesn't seem like... That, that it's that important. But I'm, but I'm telling you every day the enemy is attempting to convince you based on circumstances that you can see that things are not going to happen. See, 
What did the Jeremiah 29 say? Look, I know what I'm doing. I've got it all planned out. And the plans are, are for success and for you to endure. But for you to live in this life that you are hoping for. Everybody in here has, quote, hopes and dreams of things in the future. God just wants your hope and the hope of your soul to be anchored in him. He wants you to have this hope and expectation of the life that he already had planned for you. See, the problem is, if we try to create a life that he didn't have intended for us, it just doesn't quite work. I mean, you can make it work and you can prosper and you can get enough jobs and you can do enough and you can get enough education and those kind of things. But the Bible is very clear that God had a plan for you before you were even thought about. Doesn't make sense to the natural mind. I mean, I still haven't figured out how he did that. But I quit trying a long time ago. He had a plan for me before I was even thought about. So my deal is, I've been working, especially as I begin to realize that over the last few years, I've been working at learning how to tap what that plan was. Because when you do, it creates something on the inside of you, a fulfillment like that goes beyond what your natural mind can even think about. And the more we develop that and the more we tap into that, what happens is our soul becomes anchored in what he's promised and nothing can talk us out of it. And, and, and then he said right here, it's through faith and what? Patience. Bible also says if you don't quit, you'll reap. That's why we need patience. See, patience isn't just sitting around waiting for something to happen. Patience is having this attitude, if I know this is right, I'm not quitting until I see it come to pass. And it's through faith and patience as a result of your soul anchored in this hope and expectation that God will do what he said that causes you to endure and see those things come to pass. See, it's not enough just to endure. You've got to endure till you see it happen. Because when you see it happen, what happens? You're able to tell someone else, you know what, I did this, I did it this way, I did it like this, it didn't seem right, I did it anyway, I stayed with it, and I got the prize, whatever it is. Can you say amen? amen. We have to. Galatians 5 and verse 1 says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. In other words, you trying to work it out instead of developing your relationship, getting your soul anchored in that hope, and then as you step out in faith, you begin to see things happen because God proves to you that if you'll do it his way, it'll work. Verse 5 says, for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the what? the hope of righteousness by faith. We through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith 
working through what? Love. Faith working through love as a result of, verse 5, that hope that we patiently wait for and allow it to be developed on the inside of us so that now, as I step out in faith, I'm operating in faith because of the love that is oozing out of every pore of my body. Remember the three things in, in 1 Corinthians 13 that he talked about? Faith, hope, and love. But what's the most important? The fact that we walk in love. Now, I'm going to prove that to you just in this verse right here in Matthew 22. I got this and one more and I'm done. Matthew 22. Verse 37. Uh, Back up to 34. Matthew 22 and, and verse 34. And when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That's the first. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Everything that the prophets said, everything the Old Testament said, everything hangs on these two commandments. That you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. Listen to me. I've become convinced that the only way to love yourself, hear me when I say this, the only way, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute. The only way you're going to love your neighbor is if you love yourself. Because every time your neighbor, meaning anybody that's not you, does something you don't like, you're going to be ticked. So the only way to love your neighbor, to forgive your neighbor, is to love yourself. I'm going to tell you this. The only way, I've tried everything else, but the only way you really truly love yourself is if you know that God loves you. There's no other way. There's no other way because your mind will tell you opposite. The enemy will come to your mind and tell you, you know, that thing you did right there cancels out everything else you've ever done. You know, that, the way you treated those people right there, you're supposed to be a Christian, man. You, you acted like that, and that just nullifies and cancels out and sabotages every good thing that you've ever done. That's a freaking lie. I'm telling you right now, it's a lie. And the devil beats people, I mean hammers people's minds, telling them, you worthless piece. You're a worthless scum, the things that you've done. Everything that you have said and everything that you have done has nullified and canceled out your ability to succeed. And you know what it does? It wears you down to a place where you don't want to fight for what's right. You don't want to fight for the things that God has done for you. You don't want to fight for knowing the truth of God's word. You don't want to fight for it. Why? 
Why? Because you're worn down. And he'll wear you down in your mind and tell you that you're no good and that you're worthless and you've made too many mistakes and it's not enough and there's no way that God could love you. I'm telling you today, God loves you. And he forgives you. And he's established you. And today, as your soul is anchored in the truth of God's word, everything is hanging on these two things. That you love God with all your heart, mind, and soul and you love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the only way to love your neighbor like you love yourself is to know that God loves you. You won't love yourself and accept yourself. Every time I judge somebody hard, every time I've ever judged someone hard for the mistakes that they've made, every single time, when I've really judged my own heart, what I've done is I've judged them in something that I want to be forgiven for. So I'm holding them accountable to things that I have issue with. See? So what I've done, I've not forgiven myself. And I've not spent time overcoming the thing that I need to be forgiven of because I'm so busy trying to make everybody else look a certain way and blame it on everybody else why I'm not the way I am instead of taking responsibility and dealing with it. But you won't have the power to take responsibility for yourself if you don't know that God loves you. I'm telling you today, God loves you and he forgives you. And today, as your soul is anchored in that hope and expectation, Jeremiah 29, 11 is for you. Those plans and that life that you're hoping for, it's coming. It's coming. So you know what I ask you today to think about? What are you actively hoping and in faith and, and in pursuance of in your life? What are you actively desiring to see come to pass? Did you get that from God? Is what you're wanting to do, is it, is it something that God has said to you? Is it something that you want to see, that, that, that you know that God desires to see happen through your life? So see, the closer you get to God, the more confidence you get in those things, and that hope and expectation continues to arise, and things begin to happen. But if your hope and expectation is in something that you've devised, you just got to readjust and make sure that your plans are connected to what God wants. Can you say amen? So important that we see that and, and, and that we understand it. So I want to I end with Colossians 1, and I'm done. Bless you. <clears throat> Colossians 1 and verse 24. Paul says, I now rejoice in my sufferings for you and fill up in my flesh what is lacking in the afflictions of Christ for the sake of his body, which is the church of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God which was given to me. This is Paul saying this about himself. For you to fulfill the word of God. So his desire was to see that people fulfill the word of God and come into what they were created to be. Verse 26. The mystery which has been hidden from the ages 
and from generations, but now has been revealed to his saints. The mystery, not mysteries, but the mystery, which has been hidden from the ages and from generations, and now has been revealed to his saints. And what is that? Verse 27 says it. To them God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is, watch, Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's Christ and the anointing of God and the reality of God and the nature of God revealed in you that is the hope for the nations. It says the hope of glory, but what glory represents to us is this realization that what God has done, he's able to perform it. Because the glory represents the nature and everything about God. And the nations are looking for the manifestation of God inside of people. Christ in me and revealed in me, me knowing how much God loves me, so I'm able to love other people and live and walk and operate in the love of God because my soul is anchored in this hope and expectation. When that becomes so real to me, then it's the hope of the nations, and, and the nations change. And, and you know, we say, we say we don't like wars. Nobody likes war. Nobody likes war. I mean, some people that want to make money off of it like war, but nobody likes war. Nobody wants to see people die. You know what the key to that is? No more wars? Love of God. But it takes people knowing that God loves them and them having an expectation that what God will do, he will perform it, and then being able to give that and, and show people how real God is and that you don't have to be that and you don't have to hold grudges and unforgiveness and you don't have to treat people like that. But if it's not working in you, you have nothing to show other people. You can show them what the Word says, but the printed page won't deliver a person if they're not doing anything with it. You see? And the key is my soul anchored in the fact that God can do what he said he can do. And that's the hope of the nations. It's the hope of the whole world. The other day I had somebody tell me, talking to me about things that are going to happen in this nation in the days ahead. Somebody was telling me, in fact, I had about three people in two days call me and talk to me about about the future of, of the United States and how things are crumbling, you know, within. Things have been crumbling for, you know, 200 plus years in different ways. In the government, ungodly people, crooked people. They've been crooked people from day one. People started telling me, you know, I had three different people. You know, th this is going to happen and that thing's going to happen and this nation's going to crumble and fall. But, see, here's the way we have to look at it. But you can only look at it this way if Christ and the anointing has been revealed on the inside of you. This is my nation. How about you? It's my nation. You understand? United States belongs to me. No matter how many bad things have ever happened and how many, you know, crooks and dishonest people that there have ever been and wrong things that have been done, that's not where my focus is. 
You know, in spite of its failures, it's my nation, and I'm fighting for it. I'm standing for it, and I will not allow anybody to take it over. And you say, yeah, but you don't have the ability. No, but we all do. See, and, and, and if I become convinced of that, not with this radical, you know, jump on the bandwagon, going to hammer people and kill everybody and take everybody out and all that kind of, but if, I, but if I'll get on the wagon, I'm going to believe God for this nation, what, what most people underestimate is what the anointing of God can do. So we do sometimes relate to weapons and warfare and those kind of things in the natural above believing God first. If it comes to that, so be it. But I think that we've underestimated what the anointing can do to affect situations. What, what happened in World War II with Adolf Hitler who thought he was taking the world over? You know what happened? People prayed. And the anointing stepped in and people got in right places at right time or it was, it, it, it was, it was a sure thing that he was going to overtake and win World War II and overtake so much of the known world. But it didn't happen because he was ungodly and godly people rose up. And you know where most, a big majority of those godly people rose up? Over there. The people in the midst of it, in the midst of what was going on, rose up and began to pray, and and things began to happen, and the anointing of God set people in the right places and set people up like Churchill and different ones that rose up to the occasion, and, and, and they won the war because of the anointing of God. What would have happened without the anointing of God? Churchill knows it was the anointing of God. Drunk and all, he knew it was the anointing of God. Things happen. I'm telling you, this nation isn't crumbling just because I'm here. If God will spare Sodom and Gomorrah for ten righteous, come on, there's got to be ten of us righteous in here today. Come on. Huh? And, and, and what are we saying? What are we doing? Are we coming against everything? Are we allowing our mouths to speak what God's word says and declare these things over this nation and stand in faith and believe for the best? I didn't say there's not ugly things going on. There's some ugly stuff happening. And I don't deny that. But I say the anointing is greater. Amen. Amen. And my hope is anchored in who God is and not what everything else appears to be. And I will not waste my time focusing on what's not happening or what, how bad everything is. I'm going to focus on what God says. I'm not closing my eyes to all the bad stuff. But I'm not going to spend all my time trying to figure things out. I'm going to listen to God, then we do what he says, right? And that's what our nation has got to do and the people in this nation. And so today... We have hope and expectation for the great things of God in the United States of America and around the planet. Amen? Because it's not about just being blessed here. It's about allowing the blessing of God on us here to bless other people. God created you to be blessed, to be a blessing. 